On this episode of Inside Outside, we're going to be talking about actually starting a company and what it takes to get there. Stick with us. Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is a podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley. Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Inside Outside. You're looking to startups outside of Silicon Valley. I'm Matt Boyd. I'm Paul Jarrett. And I'm Brian Ardinger. Thanks for being with us. So it's uh, the second episode. Again, yeah. again, we're exci- we, we were overly excited last episode. Uh, we were super <laughs> excited. I don't think you picked up on my text joke of super hashtag super excited. No, I got like, it. Oh, okay. I got it. Okay. Yeah, I have a feeling I do that a lot. I do yeah. things that entertain myself, and <laughs> the other side has no idea what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. So I want to get into a deeper discussion. Last week we mentioned it a little bit. Uh, what holds people back, specifically in the Midwest? What do you guys think? Wow, what holds people back? Well, so there was actually a Quora answer. Uh, Jordan Mendelson, founder and CTO of a company called SeatMe, this, this answer got 24 upvotes, and here's a quote. I'd like to argue that the lack of support is the number one reason why people don't start a company. Your, uh, your support network is where you get your first users, who you turn to for advice, where you get your capital, or at least an introduction, where you find your first employees, and who you can fall back on if things go poorly. Yeah, see, I never would have guessed. I love that that question is asked and that it's upvoted because if you would ask me, uh, I would have said that's one of the last things that's a problem. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't even understand that question of why that's up there. But, but I also, why like, is that? I, I, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, like what my co-founder slash wife, Stephanie would say. And she said that you know, I was kind of born with the gift of just being totally shameless. Like I'm not afraid. Yeah. To ask for help, to ask for coaching, and and ask for those things, and I was taught from. I remember one of the things my mother gave me was squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? You know, and so, um, and we say it at Bulu Box all the time: just ask, just ask. So, like and, that, that not having that support system to me, it might be a bigger question of: are you asking, and not asking like once or twice. But asking a hundred mentors, asking a hundred you know different types of and entities. it's interesting. This this answer may have come from an, an environment like Silicon Valley, where it's just generally less supportive. Maybe you're just a product, and maybe Blue Box is a product of Midwestern kind of helpfulness and supportive kind of that situation. Right, but um, I, but I also know that you're going to get shot down a million yeah, times. Yeah, that's true. I, I think when you, you know, I always think of actors and they say, oh, I went on a thousand auditions before I got my first crappy commercial and I like I feel that way about startups. I think you also have to learn how to ask. Yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, you don't know how to ask. You yeah. know, I mean, it's sometimes as simple as literally asking the question to a person that you want to find out about. But, but a lot of times it's like, how do I actually frame it? I don't want to be embarrassed. I, I don't want to ask the wrong question. And so it's it's owning up to the fact that that's okay sometimes and going through the process so that you do learn to ask better. You know, you don't uh, send a note to a mentor with 55 questions you want them answered. It's like, okay, be specific. Give, give them, make it easy for them to say yes, no, or, or uh, I'll give you that specific feedback. So those are kind of some of just the basic tips on how do you go about asking right. correctly versus it, just, you know. It reminds me of the saying, um, seek advice, don't seek capital. And that's like, mm-hmm. I think a really valuable lesson for people to learn is 
you know, you don't you don't approach it, an investor or you don't approach a VC unless you know, especially when you're starting and say, "Hey, can I have some capital? Can I have some of that cash? Right. Can I have some of that?" Yeah. Um, seek advice. Tell them what you're doing. Ask for advice. And here's 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 a pro tip with when it comes to mentors and other folks. Uh, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> oh, I found that. Right? right? And, and actually, really, a lot of the mentors and a lot and of the successful... That's what I mean by, like, how do you ask? I mean, that's yeah. a lot of those kind of little yeah. things that seem kind of self-obvious aren't to a lot of people. Right. Compliment people, be gracious when they give you feedback. Thank them. I actually, you, yep. you know, give so, them feedback. I think a lot of times, you know, if we're going back to mentor tips and that, we talk about this at Inmotion to the teams, it's like, just give those mentors feedback. So if you get some feedback from a mentor and then you don't have to take their advice, but at least give that mentor the feedback that here's what I did or here's what I didn't do with your advice, but thank you for giving it to me. You know, giving that feedback to the person to kind of close the loop after you've had the discussion is yeah. a huge, oh, goes a long, long way. There's nothing worse than meeting with somebody and they ping you forever and, and, and sorry if this sounds like inappropriate or arrogant, but you know, you finally after six months of somebody hunting you down, you say, all right, let's, let's go have coffee for an hour. And you know, I come prepared, so I ask for questions, and I come with content. Like I actually spend time to make it valuable for that person. Yeah. And you spend an hour, and then you never hear from them again. Yeah. What happened? What happened? You don't have to <laughs> use my advice, it? but just tell me you didn't use my advice. Right, so right. then I at least know: right. Am I on the right track? Am I stopped I a guy on the street the other day who is kind of trying to dodge me, and I was like, "Hey, hey, man!" And he was be like, "Oh." Shit. And I was like, so what happened? And he was like, uh, we decided not to pursue the idea because, you know, it was a cluttered market. And I was like, that's great. Check, put a line through that one. Now go do the next one. Go yeah. start the next one. Yeah. Stick around for an interview with the founders of Open Doors, Blake Lawrence and Adi Kanalik. This episode brought to you by Vega in downtown Lincoln. Vega is a concert venue that houses some of the best shows and artists in the country. Shows including artists like Andrew WK, Cursive, Man Man, and much more. Check out their upcoming event schedule online at vegalincoln.com and tell Eli we sent you. Individually get started in startups, but also come together. Um, well, Adi and I met the first day of college. We're roommates uh, and new members of the football team at Nebraska. So I walked in and, and and met my roommate, and that was kind of the the foundation for a friendship that eventually became a, a business partnership. Is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah, I'd say the same thing. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I think one of the, the key things, uh, you know, the, that you usually don't see is um, partnerships last for a long time. And um, I think the reason uh, Blake and I have, uh, I guess you could say, had success together and, and, and been able to really grow together is that, you know, from the first moment that we actually met, um, um, and, you know, as friends, it was it was very apparent that like we were going to have a long term friendship. So uh, outside of uh, what we were going to have down the road from a business standpoint, I feel like, you know, th- that's one of those things that you just can't. Um, it- it's not something that's thought. It's just like, hey, these two people are going to they-, they get each other and uh, they're comfortable around each other. And, uh, uh, you know, I can see them working together. Uh, you know, as members of the football team, football is on our mind a lot. 
uh, and Audie chasing girls around the dorms. That was, that was on his mind a lot. But, um, you know, what's interesting is that from the beginning of our friendship, we would always sit back and whatever the video game of the time was, so whether it was Guitar Hero or Halo or um, anything else that we could find just to play for hours in the dorms, we would sit back, turn on the Xbox, start playing the game, but then we start throwing out ideas, you know, pretty much like our own little mini infomercials for make-believe products that should exist but don't. And, you know, it was more of a creative outlet, different ways for us to think of who could come up with the coolest way to solve a problem. Um, and I just think back to those conversations and think that was probably the foundation for us to explore how we would approach solving problems together or what different perspectives we would take into creating new ideas and new business opportunities. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, you know one of the one of the big things uh, was that you know for me I, I think I had this uh, uh, I had this appreciation for uh, Blake's uh, you know thought process around ideas and, and and all the things that he was coming up with. But for every single thing that he said, you know, I would out of the ten things that he would say, I'd be like, these nine things are dumb. But then this one is like, this is great. And in my head, I already had you know things running of like, how do we make this happen? Like trying to actually get him to realize that the tenth one is actually smart like don't think of another idea um and and it's really kind of interesting uh you know thinking about it now that um you know that was kind of uh uh you know one of the paths that led us to you know starting our first business together was that you know hey this idea is actually good uh and um and, and we should uh, we should do something about it take, take me back even before college before you know is there anything in your childhood that um was kind of entrepreneurial. Like I know a lot of entrepreneurs were like selling, selling stuff on street corners and whatever. Do you have any of those stories? Yeah, I do, uh, Matt. I, I do. So I would. They say that some entrepreneurs are made and, and some are born. I think if you ask my father or my elementary school principal, I, I was born an entrepreneur. Um, my first entrepreneurial journey was in, in third grade. Uh, my brother's in fourth grade, and my mom would give us each $2 for lunch. And my brother and I realized that the kids on the playground with candy were the cool kids, right? So we decided to take our lunch money, and we would stake out the teacher's lounge and figure out what time of day the teachers weren't in the teacher's lounge. And we'd run in, take our $2, and buy four candy bars each, 50 cents a pop, and we'd go to the playground and sell them for a, for a dollar piece. <laughs> and uh, nice. we doubled our money every day until uh, the principal caught us, you know, red-handed with, with Kit Kats in our pockets and, and kicked us out of the teacher's lounge. But I think that's uh, I love telling that story because that's something that y- you can't make up. It just was... It was about solving problems. And what's interesting is like a kid, a normal kid, I think, would buy the candy bars, then be the cool kid on the playground. But we didn't want to be the cool kid. We wanted to be the kid with money, you know. Uh, So we turned it from, you know, we could have just ate the candy bars and and shared the Skittles, but we actually um, sold it to the suckers. And so that that was the first uh, hustle on the journey, I'm sure. Yeah, and I, I guess uh, for me, I'd, I'd, I'd have to take it back to, um, you know, 
and, and I think this came a little bit later for me in terms of understanding truly, you know, how to define it from an entrepreneurship standpoint. Uh, and, and it goes along with, uh, with leadership, uh, you know, and this is truly who I am. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, and really pretty much all the way until, you know, my, you know, whether it was elementary school, middle school, um, you know, high school, I was the, the guy that brought together all of our friends to, um, whether it was, you know, to play soccer, to play games, to do things. It, I would bring together people that hated each other, but I was the one that would get home and I would call eight to ten different people and they would never hang out unless it was it was it was something that I organized. So I was like this guy that like I couldn't see the world without having all my friends at the game, and I had to include everybody, and I had to uh, allow them to um, kind of. Uh, constantly try to give them this this idea that all of us should be be together and I think that that's something that kind of throughout my life I, I continued doing and and, um, and and it was something that I got to you know really uh, you know leverage as, as I got older I got to start to see as, as I was you know you know as Blake and I were building companies together from a leadership standpoint and from just uh, getting people on the same page standpoint it was something that really was evident in terms of how I uh, um, the things that I truly love and I'm passionate about is to get people from no matter where they're from, no matter what they like to do, what they find engaging, to be on the same page and kind of uh, have the same vision for what we're trying to do. This is so good. This is great. Content. That was good. Cool. This is super good. Um, so let's go. Let's go back to college. Um, tell me about. Maybe after college. Tell me about kind of some of your experiences after college and kind of maybe how it led We're still into... in college when we started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so tell me about that and then how it led into Open Doors. Yeah. Um, well... Adi and I both played football in Nebraska. Uh, Adi was fortunate to have a four-year career, was a starting kicker, was a touchback specialist, set all kinds of records to the NCAA for most touchbacks in a career. He's a stud. You know? And I, um, if kickers can be studs. <laughs> uh, but I was, uh, I was a linebacker. I, I earned a starting role, played, uh, started for a couple years at linebacker before I had to end my career due to recurring concussions. And... So here we are. I'm, I'm a junior in college. Just had to end my career in football. Audie's still on the team. And, you know, I just started to think about what's next. And um, I remember I was taking a, a business management course with Sam Nelson at the University of Nebraska. And, and uh, he's in the middle of a lecture, and I, I stood up and interrupted him. And, and I'd come up with uh, my first big idea. And I wanted to interrupt class to tell everyone the story. And so uh, I basically said, you know, picture it now, mytwitterdiary.com, turn your tweets into a hard copy diary. Then I started to talk about how in 20 years, no one's going to know their Twitter password, but you're going to want to know the memories that you're keeping online. And so for, you know, 20 bucks, I'll turn your tweets into a hard copy diary. Started pitching the class. And uh, this was less than a month of being done with football. And instead of telling me to shut down and, and uh, sit, sit down and shut up, Sam let me continue. And, and um, you know, I took that that night. I stayed up all night, didn't sleep, created mytwitterdiary.com and created a process for someone to give me their Twitter username and turn it into a hard copy diary. And uh, I said, off we go. And this is what I want to try and pursue. And um, a couple months later, I was $53 in the hole. Sold, sold one of them. <laughs> but... Uh, 
No, I got a I got a phone call from an investor out of Florida that had found the idea and was interested in, in pursuing you know monetizing Twitter as a new concept in 2009, and um, you know here I am two months removed from playing football and having a serious conversation about starting a. a a company with an investor out of Florida that found me online. It was a huge shift in terms of reality for me and what I was doing on a daily basis. Um, that's a, a little side story, a little sub story. That didn't happen. So I didn't pursue this relationship with the investor out of Florida. But what happened was, you know, and, and I remember talking to Adi about it, is that it it gave me confidence I didn't have to wait, you know, that I could be 19, 20 years old with an idea and put it out there and nothing could stop us from taking it from an idea to reality and that there is ways to gain support and earn trust of people that will help you get to the top or, or at least get started. So that was kind of the first journey um, after football for me. But meanwhile, Audi is still on the football team. mentioned something and I want to go back to, to it. So you made a transition from being a football player um, and you ended your career and then it kind of spawned into entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Take me through your thought process when that happened and what were you thinking? Um, you know, and was it more of like a... Yeah, just, yeah, yeah so in my eyes, being an athlete at a high level and being an entrepreneur at the high level, there's not much different. I mean, you're using different tools and trying to accomplish different feats, but it takes a passionate, focused, uh, dedicated uh, individual. And so for my, my life, I was passionate and dedicated and focused on football uh, as a majority of my time and energy went into that. And when football was taken away from me, I thought, you know, how can I shift my focus but keep my passion and energy and dedication high um, into something else that I love? And that became entrepreneurship. And so, like I said, I think being an athlete at a high level and being an entrepreneur at a high level, they're very similar. And it takes a certain energy and focus um, to to succeed at both. And the transition was actually pretty natural for me. So then now, back to you. So take me... um Kind of take me through your so, so college football player setting all these records. Um, and then, you know, so you had a different kind of experience with the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. So take me through all of that and then take me through how that led into Open Doors. Heard at first and then Open Doors. Yeah, so like it, it, it goes back to the, the whole story of, you know, um, Blake having the the crazy ideas and you know me me essentially understanding truly um, that you know one out of ten of them is going to be something legit. Well, he had a internship with a uh, uh, with a company here in town uh, that was where he was doing social media, and um, you know this was our junior year. This is out there's Twitter Diaries um, um, experience. And he had this internship, and he was telling me how uh, he was doing social media for this uh, for this business, and um, he was actually creating value for them. You know, uh, he's getting leads because people in that industry at the time weren't leveraging LinkedIn the right way. Um, and so here's one of those things where I'm, I'm looking at the, the whole thing, and, and, and my motivational, th- I guess, like the things that I get motivated by is uh, looking at something and saying, like, oh my god, I can make this so much better. 
I hope you enjoyed that interview with Blake and Adi from Open Doors. Special thanks go out to them for sitting down with us to tell their story. So let's kind of break into it. So we want to talk about actually starting a company, actually getting started. So uh, there's a lot here. Um, do, do you think entrepreneurship is something that can be taught? No. No. I, I think you can give people the um, toolkit. I think you can hand them the toolbox. I think you can add more tools to that. Um, but ultimately, they have to make the conscious decision to open the toolbox and to use it. And, and they have to jump off of the cliff. Now, um, finding, figuring out what it is that you need as a person to become an entrepreneur is something different. And so I think a lot of times, and I would put myself in this category, is I've always been an entrepreneur, but I needed a certain yeah. a certain kind of chain of events to happen to get me to yeah. jump and, off the cliff. And I would push back a little bit from the standpoint of think I think it's not that you can't teach it. It's it's almost a discovery process rather than specifically teaching yeah. somebody yeah, how to be to an entrepreneur. I, I think there are some aspects of it um, that are just kind of natural in a person. Some, so like the risk profile, right. some people are just naturally risky, yep. um, and that's something that you really can't teach. But I think like the the thing, like the specifics around raising venture capital, uh, the specifics, or, you know, the yeah. tactical kind of stuff, you can definitely read books. Yeah, and I guess when we talk about it in this setting, I'm thinking about the more traditional, like startup raise capital. But yeah. you know, now I'm thinking about you know opening up a coffee stand or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So um, I guess you know, like most things, it comes down to what's the definition of it. But yeah, um, yeah, I, w- I would still, I would, I would still. You know, if, if I was pressed on it, I'd say you either have it or you don't. And I think there's definitely the ones that are going to be the Elon Musks of the world have it. There's something down an, deep, right? Innate, innate ability to. There's something broken. Yeah, there's something broken. <laughs> yeah, almost that they weird, weird something they, weird yeah, about them. They're possessed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's probably good for. I mean, that's probably true of any artist. And I oftentimes think of entrepreneurs, at least the, the ones that again are truly innovating and not just building off an, an existing model or something. Right. But if you're truly innovating, you, you kind of have to be a little bit off the yep. Yep. radar. So we went and talked to Sam Nelson with the Center for Entrepreneurship at the University of Nebraska and posed this question to him. It's interesting you bring up that question because I do get asked that a lot, particularly from entrepreneurs that have been doing it for a long time. I mean, it's one of the first things they'll ask me is, do you really think you can teach that subject? And my canned answer, and I and I, it's, it's, I call it canned because it's the one that I, I still stand by strong, is that I can, I can expose students to the process. I can expose students to a network. I can never convince a student to be okay making payroll or being up late at night trying to figure out where they're going to get the next million dollars. That's something that is either there comfortable with or they're not that that I cannot teach and I and I let them know that up front there are also certain things um it's just like playing a sport I you can show someone how to play football you can show someone how to play basketball but until they actually get on the field in real-time speed with competitors that are really after them uh as opposed to just working with their coach and and working with folks giving them the technique I mean, it's it's a whole different ball game. So it's 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 a mixed bag. I think it's good. You know, I don't think uh, I think any education you get before you step out there is going to be good. Similar to a sport and getting exposure to a network and people um, that can share their lessons are is valuable. But you know, l- l- hearing about someone else's mistakes 
and then actually going out and making your own are also two entirely different things. And I think most entrepreneurs would say that's probably the beauty in the process, though, is that you you get the chance to grow as an individual. You get a chance to learn. You get a chance to test your resiliency. The buck stops with you. And, and those are things that um, we try to expose the students as to as much as possible in our environment. But because most of our students are somewhere between 18 and 22, we still feel we have a real need to help them sort out what they want to do with their lives, or at least the next phase, since you know a lot of us you know, are sorting that out our whole life. But um, I think... I think it's beneficial, and I and I think if you talk to some of my students that I've had in the past that have went through, uh, you know, they probably would agree that they didn't really learn it, learn it <laughs> until they did it. But they're probably glad that they had some exposure to it on the front end. So there's actually a pretty good Forbes article about, um, you know, so the, the article is titled Eight Signs You're an Entrepreneur, and it's got a lot of really good thoughts about about some of that. Some of it is like, uh, you know, the, the fact that being a self-starter is a very important thing, and I think that's something that probably cannot be taught. You can't teach somebody how to be a self-starter. They're, they just are. And I think that comes from like a really deep hunger. Part of it is putting them in the right environment. I think people are self-starters in different environments. So if it's, if it's an area that they're passionate about, which is another one of those traits, yeah, absolutely. if they're passionate about a particular subject, they're more likely to be a right. self-starter to get up, do what it Then takes. kind of work stops feeling like work, right? Yeah, yeah, you don't work. Some of the other characteristics we could probably talk about, uh, passion. You know, Obviously, I think it takes a lot of passion. This is a grind. If you're really going to go above and beyond and create something from nothing. It has to f- be fun. Right, like, yeah. w- like it has to be something that you look forward to driving to work or walking to work or or whatever it is in the morning. Almost where you miss you being know, in like the office. This this podcast, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, you guys saw me. I walked into the office like literally dancing. Glowing. Yeah, like, <laughs> literally dancing. Like you have to be excited to you know actually go through all of the pain that you're going to go through as an entrepreneur. So, so talking about the podcast, we want to kind of tell our story about how we started this thing because it's kind of interesting. We did some of the lean principles and if you're not familiar with lean, it's a, it's a methodology around startups that kind of mitigate a lot of the risk involved because startups are extremely risky. So if you can kind of cut down on some of that risk and do some things more efficiently, um, and th- th- it's kind of the way we started this thing, which I think is important. Like you, it's, it's still going to be risky. Always. Like it's, and that's a good thing. And, and I, I'm going to, you know, pound as away at this as much as I can. But the two traits that you need to force yourself or, or you need to have are the whole risk and grit thing to become mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. And um, I, I see a lot of people that just, they're held back by, they, they're afraid of risk. And I think part of it is though, it's not really risk a lot of times. Uh, it's, it's really mitigating risk. It's not the risk itself. It's the, it's the ability to look at a situation and find out, okay, how can I mitigate the possible downside? Yeah, but really, you're still you're risking. You're going to risk embarrassment. True, you're always going to risk embarrassment. Yes. There's always there's always going to be a risk for doing something different or new. But what I think good entrepreneurs do is really try to mitigate those risks. And one of the ways you can do that is well, doing things like customer development and actually going out and finding out, you know. What do people want rather than going out and building something first and spending six months it, and hundred thousand dollars? It's kind of a form of pragmatism, right? So, so you just yeah. gotta like if if it's there and it's if you can possibly mitigate that risk and, and it's easy to do, why not do it? It's yeah. efficient. Well, and you can't mitigate all risks. I mean, that's yeah, not gonna it's, happen. It's impossible. So, but what you try to do is try to do, minimize that. Do you guys think that um, 
that whole risking and or risk of embarrassment plays a big role in preventing people to start? I actually, yeah, I think that's probably a big one. And, you know, like we talked about last week, failure just kind of sucks sometimes. It, it hurts, <laughs> yeah, yeah. especially whenever you're dealing with, you know, the judgment of your family and the judgment of your parents and all the that whole, kind of stuff. The whole, I told you so, you know, like when, yeah, exactly. when people are trying to talk you out of the and, idea. And, like, well, and, and, you know, the fact is that, so. yeah, I mean, most people, like whenever you tell them an idea or tell them that you're going to do something crazy or outlandish, like starting a company, most people do not speak that language. They no, don't understand no. it fundamentally. And, and when people don't, yeah, sorry to cut you off, but when people don't understand it and when they don't have a game plan, like, you know, my parents, even though they had started a company and, and you know, they did experience failure, um, they knew a little bit about it. And, and you know, they, there was a kind of a mixed bag of you should and you shouldn't do this. But, you know, God bless my parents. They just say kind of go do your own thing. We'll yeah. support you no matter what. But there was, were plenty of people that said, you know, that's not going to work. And, and I think they're still waiting to say, I told you so, you know, (laughs) but that's good. You need those people. So some of the notes that I wrote down for how we actually started this podcast was we just made the leap. Uh, And I think that's a pretty important thing to do. I would say the first thing we did really was we started talking to people about, you know, I didn't know you guys did this. Yes, this is all news to me. (laughs) You're you're the third third wheel here. (laughs) I was like the last checkbox, and then it's like, well, find a (laughs) co-host. It's kind of like letting a bull in the china shop. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Let's just let's just test him once and see how it goes. (laughs) Now we started asking people about, you know, what's around here. Turning red right now, (laughs) and and we might pivot. Yeah, exactly. You never know. Paul, sorry, we pivoted. You're out. Oh, cool, guys. What's the pivot? You're not included anymore. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we went out and started talking to people, and and you know, one of the things that I mean, I think you, Paul, were talking about the fact that you know Midwest entrepreneurs and they're not very good at banging the drum, and it's like, well, how can we actually maybe ro- raise the profile, and what would be possible solutions to that problem? And you know, we kind of said, well, let's think about you know other media blogs that that and podcasts, obviously. Matt, you've had some experience developing these in the past. And yep. We said let's uh, let's give that a shot. So, so we, we kind of just uh, made the leap. We bought you know about a thousand dollars worth of equipment. Yo, um, yo! Wow. So that's how you hear Sorry, us honey. so clearly <laughs> wow. right now. This is just money right here. So my beard and my saliva are just <laughs> getting caught up when, in all this brand new equipment. <laughs> yeah, pop, pop mic. When you have pop, uh, Paul, cover. you want a pop. Yeah, filter. And, and honestly, <laughs> you, you need all sorts of filter when Paul's in, filters when Paul's included. Yeah. Um, so you know, making that leap, you know, that was kind of risk mitigated as well. Where it's just like, you know, let's just do this thing. We're we're we we're tired of not doing it. To yeah. Us. And even when we started, like we we just sat down, had a beer, and hit go. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was that was awesome. And it just kind of happened. I was kind of thinking to myself, you know, at that time, like if we just don't get this started and we don't hammer it out, like I'm out. Yeah. Yep. You know. So. Yep. That's awesome. And I think that comes back to what we're doing now. I mean, we're in episode two, so by we have no idea actually what we're doing. So that's why we're constantly asking for feedback from our audience. Like, what do you want to hear about? Um, so if you have an idea, yeah. hit it up in the comments. <laughs> Seriously, the best stuff is when you guys... Hip up, stop. Hit stop. <laughs> you guys just need to l- let actually, it go. It's actually a good thing. Back Probably back to true. filters. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things, like we talked about, you know, what we're doing as far as the podcast, but 
I think one of the best things about being an entrepreneur today is the fact that you have so many tools and so many things that make it virtually impossible not to be able to put something out into the world and test it. Almost and, too and, much. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, so if you think about what actually we built for the podcast. So we had a, a website that we spun up in a day with a Tumblr and, and a, a theme. And Very MVP mentality. Exactly. Just get something Minimum up. Minimum viable product. So that we can post and get comments and feed, feedback and, and kind of go from there. Um, you're using tools like MailChimp, so we're building an you know, email list so we can send out newsletters, things along those lines. Um, there's all sorts of ways uh, and tools out there that I think make it, again, virtually impossible if you have an idea not to t- throw it out into the world and see what happens. So there's very little that is actually being built from scratch. Yeah. We're right. leveraging a lot of tools. That a lot of existing there, things. I'm all about that. Yeah. We did a little bit of customer validation. We talked to a couple startups. We talked to some media people in our local area who have actually run podcasts before, successful podcasts with sponsorships. And we got a lot of good ideas. Um, we talked to some founders and we, we just found a, like an open need for this type of, of thing. And um, yeah. aren't, aren't, aren't you going to mention, or is it not, Silicon Prairie News? So, like with, uh, I'll say it, it's okay. It's okay, everybody. Like with Silicon Prairie News kind of changing hands, I think we all kind of thought there's a void there. I had a lot of conversations with people of like, you know, what's the future of it? What's going to happen? And um, I think, you know, where it's at right now is great and fantastic. And the people running it, like, I'm sure have an amazing plan and um, excited for that. But that's really what started the conversation because I had a lot of people email, meet face-to-face, and everybody said, well, what's the future of Silicon Prairie News and what's going to fill that gap? And I think that kind of planted the seed on this podcast. Yeah. We wanted the Midwest to have a voice, an actual voice. Yeah, a literal voice. A literal voice. So a podcast is probably the voice of you know the Midwest, and that's what we're trying to tell. So are we... We're the, the voice, voice of America. Of <laughs> like episode two, and we're claiming we're, that title. We're declaring we it. We're declaring an episode two. That is quite the declaration. <laughs> the voice of the Midwest entrepreneurship scene. Episode two, we are the voice of the Midwest. Hey, deal deal voice. with it. Hashtag deal with it. A single voice. Yeah. So let's talk about today's environment as far as like, what did, what is it like to actually kind of start a company today? Um, a couple points right off the bat. I think the barrier to entry uh, today is actually so much smaller than if you were going to start a, uh, an internet startup or a highly scalable startup of the past, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the day, it would have cost millions of dollars to start something where you got to buy servers and so, infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, examples of that. So when I was out with China.com, we, that was our job. Exactly what you had was, to do. We had to build the infrastructure for... HSBC Bank and Internet Banking and Cathay Pacific and from scratch. And these projects cost... Can you imagine back in the day, like, like physically sending mail to like get a logo made. Yeah, yeah. Like the yeah. amount of revisions of like, sending, oh my like putting coins in an envelope and like mailing it to somebody. I mean, I mean we would charge insane. we would charge two to four to six million dollars to put a website together. And you know, now literally today you could do the exact same thing. Yep. Yep. You know, have a complete e commerce site yep. from scratch, selling product in an hour. I mean, this yep. is exactly and, and for twenty five bucks. We Stephanie and I worked at an advertising agency together, and we were just starting to dip our toe into digital. And we built an e commerce site, and I 
think it netted out to being 140k total. Wow. Um, we built the first version of BooBooBox.com in a few hours, yeah. and, and had the tools to sell it. It's crazy probably, how that changes. It probably cost us 19, 20 bucks to get that website Golly. up and running. And I think not only from and that's the, only a few years. Exactly, and I don't think it's just the infrastructure to put stuff out there. Or whatever, it's it's the infrastructure to then expand and tell that story. So again, think back five years, six years, seven years ago. You didn't have a Twitter. You didn't have a Facebook. You didn't have these. I mean, communication you, you were doing ad buy. If you wanted to get the word out, you yeah. were doing like you know radio spots and oh, ad God. buys. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> oh. I mean, you guys so, remember the Industry uh, Standard magazine? Yeah. And during the dot com craziness, yeah. it was like five inches yeah. thick yep. because of advertising about with startups and things like that. that. And it quickly went to a page and a half. <laughs> oh my gosh, man! We get we get interns from different universities that shall not be named. And you know, I think I might have even mentioned this last episode, uh, or maybe it got cut, but. Um, they come in thinking like television, newspaper. <laughs> like I, I made a media plan, and it's like, oh, here, let me, let me, let me show you a little something about metrics. And Can you go stand at the Starbucks and, and talk to people? Yeah, have you ever heard of customer acquisition CAC? LTV. Yeah. Or, nope, never heard of it. Okay, let's just erase everything you learned. So you're you're now at school. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yep. Um, and also the kind of the ability to, you know, if your idea or the, you know, it's just not panning out because everything is so cheap now and everything yeah. is so efficient, shut it down. you know, you can either shut it down or you can pivot shut it mm-hmm. down. the ability to pivot and test and experiment is just so much more rampant than it was back in the day. And, and I think with technology, the way that it is, at least we experience this at Blue Box, like we, we don't even under, like we think in iterations, we don't even think in pivot, like mm-hmm. we're just correcting exactly. little yep. things along the way. And I think so many times people get caught up in pivot or this or that. It's like, no, just like every day, make it better. Make a new iteration of it, make it better. And I think the final kind of puzzle piece that's really changed the game for startups is really the transparency and access to both people and information that weren't there a couple years ago. I mean, five, six, seven, eight years ago, your ability to even know what a term sheet was or have somebody help you with that, it wasn't out there. But now, you know, you can literally Google and find out five different versions of term sheets and, and talk to 10 different people and go to Clarity FM and have an hour long discussion with somebody who's raised capital, whatever the case may be, Which you have, have access used. to that. Yeah, I have used, I have paid for Clarity. We're, you mm-hmm. know, two and a half years in operating, there was some e-commerce questions that I wanted answered and I used Clarity and, and made a bunch of connections and it was fantastic. It answered the question that I needed to be answered. Yeah, so, you so if you don't know about Clarity FM, go to clarity.fm. Dan Martell started the company a couple of years ago. He just recently sold it but um, basically it's it's an online marketplace for mentors for and, knowledge, and, ex- right? and uh, experts so you can pay by the minute to talk to basically yep. any expert I, ca- I kind of caught a lot of flack from other people for using it because the idea was I can't believe you know you, you pay somebody this? or whatever but when you have a <laughs> very hours. specific e-commerce subscription domain there, knowledge yeah mm-hmm. I, I started to think about my time of asking you know a dozen people and I thought but there's this very successful person on Clarity right now. This is like an ad for Clarity. How we get <laughs> our sponsor uh, this week? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what I didn't the only the only thing I didn't get is that um, the price wasn't set. The clock just kept ticking. <laughs> yeah. So it ended up being a little bit more than I needed. But also, um, it, it was just absolutely incredible to get a few questions answered that fast. So, so it's an awesome service. I kind of want to segue so that, so there are a lot of tools out there for this type of thing. And clarity is definitely one of them. Yep. Um, you know, to get a startup started, we were talking about how easy it is to kind of just launch something. So we want to mention some of those tools. Uh, there are a lot of code libraries. So Ruby on rails, 
uh, that type of thing. So if you, you know, are you promoting Ruby on rails in the basket? (laughs) No. Oh man. (laughs) Comment below. Comment below. I will get a lot of flack for that in Nebraska. Um, you know, there's a lot of WYSIWYGs, Squarespace and that kind of thing. So if you want to launch a website in, in literally a matter of a couple hours and a nice looking website, complete with e-commerce capabilities, yeah, blah, blah, I mean, blah, whatever. Yep, integrate yep. with Stripe. I mean, all that kind of stuff, blogging platforms, WordPress, Tumblr, Joomla, that kind of thing. Uh, MailChimp, Fiverr. If you're not familiar with Fiverr, it is fantastic. Five bucks yep. gets you a long way on Fiverr. Uh, it's almost like a mini personal assistant for small tasks throughout your day, and you can just drop five bucks on a lot of them. Yep. So you post a task, and and you pay five bucks, basically. Yeah, I, I am part of a email chain, which I will not name, but there is actually um, some really, really big names of some uh, startups and founders and investors that are on this email chain. And I'm always shocked. I think I might have screenshotted one and sent it to you, Matt, at one point in time. Yeah. Um, but I'm shocked at the amount of people that use Fiverr um, or you know Amazon Mechanical Turks or mm-hmm. you know um, those types of tools to actually like market and promote themselves. So it's, that, kind of, it's kind of an efficiency situation where you know it's like a lot cheaper than your time to actually go and do these yeah, simple tasks. Actually, so. let's talk about that for a minute because I find in the Midwest. I talk to as I talk to a lot of you know our our teammates uh, you know employees or call them, you know I call them teammates but um, anyway talk to employees investors um, other startups other entrepreneurs in the Midwest um, we automatically go to cheap right <laughs> yeah right? what's what's the saying you can have it um, what is it good fast or cheap yeah. is that right can have and, yeah exactly you can you know the 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 quote is something like you can have are good, fast, and cheap. You can choose two. You can't have all three. And Midwest is just like cheap number one. You know? <laughs> and I find myself even you know even just recently within the past past few days, especially with like the growth that we've seen, um, cheap is great and cost efficient is great. But you know, um, good and fast a lot of times at a startup are more important than cheap. And even to just erase that or try not to think about it being cheap, that's I think really hard for a lot of people in the Midwest and I put myself in that category and and we think oh but I can do it cheaper but will that idea scale is it feasible long term right. um, so yeah I, I, th- I think that happens a lot is it's just easy to, to go with like good and cheap and not think about fast or fast and cheap and not think about good but I think a lot of times at a startup you need to be thinking about good and fast Well, that's it for this episode of Inside Outside. Let us know if you have a differing opinion in the comments or on Facebook. We also want to hear from you directly, so we set up a voicemail. Feel free to give us a call, 402-413-1194, and you may hear your voice on the show. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash the IO podcast. Music for this podcast is brought to you by bensound.com. Special thanks to our guest, Blake Lawrence and Adi Kunalik. And until next time, go build something big.